0: Welcome to Tari Mechanach Yomi with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Adina Schmidman, and today we will be learning Sefer Yehoshua, Perek Yud Zayin, 17. Yesterday, we learned about the territories designated for Shevet Yosef, highlighting the cities of Ephraim. Today, we will focus on the cities and land of Menashe. Pasuk Aleph 1, Yehi HaGarol LeMateh Menashe. Kihu Yosef and then was the lot of the tribe of Manasseh, though he was Yosef's firstborn. We know that Ephraim received first because of the blessings of Yaakov. Avihagilad, for Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilad, he was a man of war, by Hilo Hagilad Vahabashan. And onto him was the Gilad and the Bashan. If you recall, half of Menashe settled on the east side of the Yarden, land that was apportioned by Moshe. The Malbim explains that Menashe received territory on both the east and west side of the Yarden because, as Yose's firstborn, he was entitled to a double portion of land. He cites the Medrash, which states that Menashe's inheritance was torn in two. Because Yosef caused the brothers to rip their garments when his cup was stealthily put into Benjamin's bag and then discovered. Because Menashe was a firstborn and received a double portion, it was his territory that was split. Consequences of actions have impact and we would be well served to give this consideration, both in terms of changing our negative behaviors, but also realizing how far-reaching our good deeds really are a kind word, a smile, a gesture. We all can remember little things that have made a huge difference. We are now presented with a list of descendants of Menashe, one of whom we have certainly met before. Pasuk Gimel. Belitslavchad ben bengilad ben Machir lo hayu lo banim. Ki'im Banos, Ve'ela Shemos Benosav, Machla, Chagla, Milka, The Benost Slavchad, they are audacious in the desert, approaching Moshe after their father died, with their heartfelt request to have a portion in the land. Let's go back to Sefer Bamibar, Perek Chafzayin, Pasuk Aleph, 27.1. Batikravna Binost Slavad, Ben Hefer, Ben Gilad, Ben Mahir, Ben Minasha, Lemishbachos Minasha, Ben Yosef. The daughters of Tslavad came close. Remember that word. The Elashimos Binos, Mahla, Noah, Chagla, Milka, Vitsirza. They stood in front of Moshe and in front of Elazar Hakoin, and in front of the Nisim and in front of the Ada, in front of the Oh Moed. Saying to Moshe, Pasuk Gimel, Avinu bamidbar, yabisoha had al Hashem, badas Korach, ki u'vanim Lo. Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not among the assembly that was gathering against Hashem in the assembly of Korach, but he died of his own sin and he had no sons. Lama yigara shema vinumi mitoch mishpach he ain't Lobain tana Lanu Ahusa Bisok Ache Avinu. Why should the name of our father be omitted from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. Bayakrav Moshe Esmishpatan Lifneh Hashem. And Moshe brought their claim in front of Hashem. Bayomar Hashem El Moshe lemar Mar Cain Binost Dovros, the daughters of speak properly You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among the brothers of their father, and you shall cause the inheritance of their father to pass over to them. Hashem taught Moshe the laws of inheritance in the merit of these women. Moshe told them that because their father had no sons, they would in fact inherit their father's portion. And now, as Moshe's portion is being determined, the Minos Tzlafcha come forward again for their deserved share in Eretz Yisrael. We learned together when discussing the spies that the men who were between 20 and 60 years old when they left Egypt did not enter the land of Israel. But what happened to the women? At the very end of Perek Chaf Vav in Bamidbar, the Perek right before the story of the daughters of Tzlovchad, we read about the counting of Bnei Israel. The final words in this parak read, V'lo nosar mehem ish ki im Kalev ben Yufuna v'yoshua ben Nun. And not a man was left of them except for Kalev the son of Yufuna, and Yoshua ben Nun. The Keliuker elaborates on this pasuk and shares that although the men perished in the desert as a punishment for believing the spies, this edict did not apply to the women. Aval nashim hayu kilonig zarag Zeras miraglim ki al ha nashim. Lafi hayu sonim esharetz. Wa hayu omrim nitna rosh ve nashuva mitsrayma. In a very dramatic way, the Kliyakar explains that the women survived the desert experience while the men did not, because while the men detested the land, the women loved the land of Israel. But the Kliyakar does not leave it at that. He continues and gives two reasons why women are more connected to the land. He says that the women were and are modest while the men were not. The land welcomes modesty and hence the women connected with the land of Israel. The second reason is that when it came to the gifts for the Kohanim, the Truos and Maestros, the men hated to be obligated Limakom they had no desire or will to go from a place of exemption to a place of obligation, and wholeheartedly proclaimed, We remembered the fish that we ate in Egypt freely, with no obligation to the Kohen and no obligation to the Levi. But the women, The women of that generation were righteous. And they loved to give tzedakah. They were commanded with a special mitzvah of dough, which in the time of the Beis Hamidosh was tied to the land, as well as other truums and maestros. And they, as says the Kliyakar, So they loved the land to go to the place of obligation of Torah and mitzvos. The Kliyakar continues by highlighting that Yosef himself was modest and generous and therefore also connected to the land. So the Benost Slavcha came by their love to the land honestly, both as women and as descendants of the tribe of Yosef. It is they who said so passionately, "Tina lanu achuza, give us a possession, a parcel of land in the land of Israel. Let us return to Sefer Yehoshua, where we left the Benost Tzlavchad approaching Yehoshua and Elazar. Vati Kravna, and they came close. With conviction and no hesitation, the Benost Tzlavchad, with modesty and wisdom, demonstrated tremendous Chibas Haaretz, love for the land, and with all the details and obligations, were granted their share in the land. End of pasuk. Dalid Hashem nachala besoch achei And he gave them, according to the word of Hashem, a heritage among their fathers' brothers. After describing Menashe's territory, Ephraim's separated cities and Menashe's separated cities. We conclude this section of our Perak Pasuk Yud Gimel thirteen Bahiki Israel Bayitnu Esha Knani Lamas Lo Horishu. And it happened when the children of Israel became strong that they imposed tribute on the Knani, but they did not drive them out. The Das Sofram suggests that they didn't drive out the Knanim because they weren't militarily able to. Or perhaps they didn't sense any imminent physical or spiritual danger, despite Hashem's commandment to kill out the nations. They may have been spared, according to the Rambam, because they accepted the seven mitzvot of Noah, paid taxes, and became servants of the king. Perhaps these Kananim accepted these terms. Pasuk Yudalad 14 describes a new problem presented by the Bnei Yosef. The children of Yosef spoke to Yoshua, saying, Why have you given me the inheritance of only a single lot and a single portion, seeing that I'm numerous people? For Hashem has blessed me to such an extent. The sons of Yosef use the word ko, taking us back to the bracha which Avraham received, that he will be blessed, ko iyeh zaracha, that so your children will be blessed. This is a fulfillment of the promise made to Avram to have children like the stars in the sky. The Balaturim notes that Yosef increased by 20,500. This number is alluded to with the word ko, kuf being 20 and he being five. Not only was it the bracha from Avram Avinu, but the bracha from Yaakov Avinu came into play when the Bnei Yosef entered the land. The bracha went into effect that you will multiply like fish in the midst of the land. Their ranks increased in an extraordinary fashion. Now that we understand the explosive population growth, let's try to understand the issue that the Bnei Yosef were raising. Their issue was the land-tribe size proportionality. Their argument was that their shevet was too large for the portion that they were given. So how did the Goro work with Ephraim and Menashe? The Ramban explains that the two shvatim of Yosef were given one lot, which was then divided into two to be shared by both. They received the area of two shvatim. So then what was the issue? Well, it turns out that the inhabitable land was really enough for just one shevet. Let's take a deeper look at the plan for dividing the land to understand the grievance and its legitimacy. In Perak Chafav 26 of Bamidbar, same Perak that we were looking at earlier, we read, To these the land shall be divided for an inheritance according to the number of names. Pasuk Nundalad fifty four. La Nachlaso at Tamit Nachlaso, Pikudav Yutan Nachlaso. For the numerous you shall increase its inheritance, and for the fewer ones you shall lessen it. Each one according to his count shall his inheritance be given. Ach Only according to the lot shall the land be divided. So, according to the Psukim, it looks like the children of Yosef were in fact in the right. But not so fast. Let's go through a few of the commentaries to understand their view on this issue. According to Rashi, each person from Bnei Yisrael should receive an equal portion, except for the firstborn son who receives a double portion. While the size of the shevet is irrelevant, at the same time, the larger the shevet the more territory, as there are more people to receive the land. The Ramban posits, however, that the land was divided into nine and a half equal parts. Within the parts, the more members of a family, the more land. But the size of the territory does not differ from shevet to shevet. The Barbinel suggests that the land was divided so that a shevet with more people would receive a larger portion. But it was not exactly a one-to-one correspondence, so it was... Quite possible that an individual who was part of a large shevet would likely get a smaller piece of land than an individual belonging to a smaller shevet. The Vilnagon suggests that the land was divided evenly and a numerically larger shevet would then be given a strip of land from the adjacent portion. That is one reason why the boundary took twists and turns. Let's go back to the argument and apply it to each commentary's model. Let's review the issue. The B'nai Yosef are saying that they received a disproportionately small territory given the large numbers of their shevet. Let's start with Rashi. Remember, Rashi said that every person gets an equal portion in the land. So in which case, with the B'nai Yosef, what was the concern? The Mizrahi explains that according to the Gemara, The number of individual plots of land into which Eretz Yisrael was divided was based on the census of males from 20 to 60 years old at the time of Yetzirah Mitzrayim. Each male received a portion of land, but those younger received nothing. A child born in the desert did not receive his own section of land in Eretz Yisrael. According to the Ramban's model of equal size across the tribes, Menashe, in fact, did have an issue because they were, in fact, larger than the standard size given. And there were a lot of Canaanim in their portion. Yoshua's response, Yoshua's response, you have so many people and you can enlist Ephraim to clear the land of the Canaanim and deforest the land. According to the Bar-Binell, Menashe's argument was not so much about the size of the territory as the bar posits that the larger the Shevet, the larger the area. So then what was the issue? Menashe was saying that the land was not livable as it was forest land and there were so many Canaanim. Yoshua's response, you have so many people and you can enlist Ephraim to clear the land of the Canaanim and deforest the land. And according to the Vilna Manasha was negotiating for an extra strip of land into someone else's territory. Whether you follow Rashi, Ramban, Abarbanel, or the Vilna Gon, Yoshua's response remains the same by Yomer Har Yoshua said to them, "If you're such a numerous people, go up to the forest and clear an area for yourselves in the land of the Prizi and the Rifaim, since the mountain range of Ephraim is too confined for you." The conversation goes back and forth with the Bnei Yosef saying that they are outnumbered and that there is a forest in their portion, while Yahushua responds. Listening and responding. Listening and responding. Note the back and forth of the conversation, but Yahushua is unwavering. He stands steadfast and challenges the sons of Yosef to clear the forest and drive out the Canaanim. You're so large, use that to your advantage. The land is not habitable, so clear it and use it. The negotiation for more land in some ways is demonstrating a lack of faith in themselves, Hashem and the Goro. But Yoshua believes in them and he knows that they're up to the task. How does he know? You see, he's one of them. This is his Shaiva. And perhaps there was a sense of we're family, you know, come on, you can cut us a deal. You know we need some extra space. But Yoshua in his leadership role holds the line, while at the same time gives the Bnei Yosef the pep talk they need to tackle these formidable tasks. Even though there was a Goro system to apportion the land, Yoshua needs to navigate and negotiate. And while we might think that boundaries are of national concern, there is a real personal aspect that we are seeing here in this parak. With both the B'nei slavchad who we welcome back to the narrative as they passionately vie for the land they love, and the B'nei Yosef, who want more territory as they are bursting out of their portion, Yoshua deftly mediates and manages the issues, large and small. Thank you for studying together, li'iluin nishmot, Imotenu Hayikarot, Esther Oppenheimer, ala shalom, and Sarah Shankar ala shalom, each deeply devoted and proud to transmit their family's Torah legacy to the next generations.